0: you're making stuff that has never ever been thought of and then manufacturing it and you know what's gonna happen three, two, three, four years before anybody else does.
1: We're here again, now finally in a new one of my studios, my office here in Pittsburgh and my first ever interview was someone from Clubhouse, which is crazy because Literally, I've never met anyone physical from Clubhouse, been on for six months, we've all talked about it so many times on my show, Michael Giuliano. Michael, thanks for stopping by,
0: how are you? Thank you so much for having me today.
1: Hey, we're, we're excited to chat with you and basically wanna kinda of just jump right into how it all started. I guess, did you always wanna be an entrepreneur growing up?
0: Uh, I didn't, I wanted to be a baseball player, I wanted to play for the New York Yankees. Uh, my dad um, worked in Manhattan, so product in New Jersey, New York area and my dad put an unbelievable amount of time into us to be great, whatever it was, and he taught us through sports. Um, So what I wanted to be when I grew up was a New York Yankee. Uh, Later in life, I happened to play baseball, basketball, football, track, and um, my middle brother played basketball, uh, and that was his sport, and uh, my dad toughened me up and uh, put the discipline, and I like to hit people, so uh, I ended up playing a little bit of football in college
1: a little bit of football in college interesting so you're a sports guy and I think sports in so many ways is fits so much with entrepreneurship because you're setting goals for yourself in sports and we'll get to that soon so soon enough so you pick the sport of football what position do you play in a, when you're on.
0: I played defensive back and um, I was able to run pretty fast forward but uh, not too bad backwards and I can turn my hips and like to come up and hit people so that's what suited me uh, my dad used to tell me I should have been a quarterback um, and I think I would have had uh, a more fun college experience if I did, but uh, just played defensive back and uh, at that time I'm six feet. I was playing 200 uh, something pounds and um, ran, ran a nice little 40 and could uh, lift some weight. So uh, got to play a, a tiny drop a little bit early and uh, got hurt and that was it and uh, I'm glad I studied. Uh, I majored in industrial and manufacturing systems engineering at Ohio University, and uh, that's kind of kind of weird because that is the nerd of the nerds, which is one side. But then the other part of your day, you're knocking the hell out of people that are playing on TV or on Sony PlayStation video games. So living the two extremes, uh, a jock can't be smart, and a smart guy really can't be a jock. So interesting, but. Uh, it, it, it shaped who I am.
1: Were you always that focused in academics? Uh,
0: I believe I was. My, um, my mom and dad had high expectations for all of us. Uh, my dad told me, my middle brother, my youngest brother, the exact same thing. My mom told us you could do it. And uh, school came first. Uh, we weren't allowed, the expectation was set unbelievably high. But uh, I think what my parents instilled in us all is family, uh, delayed gratification, hard work, and just to outwork people. And when we were little, uh, I could tell my dad, hey, I had this many points. And he'd say, you play in the suburbs and you have a right-handed game, no left-handed game. Or I could play baseball. And uh, he said, well, that's not AAU," But that was his way of saying there was always somebody bigger, faster, and stronger and you know that's what the truth is you might be the the cool kid in your neighborhood but eventually you all run into each other you could have a state title you could have records you could have everything but then you bump up to college and the guy next to you was the exact same person they were the biggest fastest strongest so there's always somebody bigger that can knock you on your ass pretty darn quick so understanding and having a a, a very very vivid brutal Brutally honest reality um, came early. I didn't always like the delivery style of it, but um, It definitely shaped uh, my view you now get into being a professional um, Same thing from the same person you better get tough. There's international kids and there's this and there's that uh, you know, how the hell did you work for Intel you, you didn't study microchips, so the same type of delivery i didn't always get why it was but uh you know a little bit of mr miyagi to danielson type thing and uh you know between my mom and my dad it was academics and you're going to make more money with your head than you are with your ass so you better outwork everybody you better not be uptown chasing girls doing crazy stuff and it was time management and it was discipline and that uh that came the rigidity um The focus, the competitive nature uh, came 100% from my dad. So that's where it came from.
1: And that's interesting. It's always looking at my father, again, was a very, very brilliant man, passed away a year and a half ago, and talking about fathers, and he was number two in the Naval Academy when we went to the Naval Academy. He went to MIT, and uh, brilliant, and I think that I – took a different route than you. I really didn't build my academics to go back to my master's degree to be a teacher. But then from there, I just am constantly learning and trying to learn from the best people and explain things and teach others. And it went from teaching and tutoring to entrepreneurship and helping others and be able to break down things in products and projects and everything. And in interviewing over 7,000 plus people is not hurt at all either because you learn from so many genius people that you've talked to and developed but i I love when you have that work ethic you understand what to do and do it and when you were trying to balance athletics and academics that's challenging regardless of who you are i went and i mean i played college basketball at western maryland and and then also was you know trying to balance it even when i was a professional wrestler it's hard to to balance academics and athletics does that also help you in your work ethic as well
0: I think what it does is time management. So you have, um, there's 24 hours in a the day there's 168 hours in a week, 60 seconds in a minute, you know, all of that. We have the exact same amount of time everybody does. It's how you choose to spend your time. Are you productive or are you busy? And it feels good to be busy, but pr- productive is, um, you know, what, what comes out in the wash. So I knew, Um, if I may give you just a day in a life of college up at 445, you better be over on a mat walking on your hands, doing plyometrics, somersaults, all that stuff. So that's five to six, six o'clock to seven. um, You would have Olympic powerlifting workout, Olympic track workout. You maybe go grab some breakfast and over to class at eight, uh, physics, chemistry, every math that is available, statics, thermodynamics, uh, game theory, uh, all the 20-letter all the Scrabble words, and then maybe you eat lunch. Then you go over, get taped up, 2.30, 3 o'clock, you're knocking the hell out of some really big, fast, scary-looking dudes, and you do that till about 7. You go back and you get about a half hour to eat, and right back watching individual film, so just a coach kicking your butt on everything you ever did wrong for the day down the footwork. Then you're watching team, and then you're watching the upcoming week. Uh, So if you're, uh, at that time, Tory Holt was over at NC State, you're watching how Tory Holt lines up in formation, and if he's leaning to a side and it's third and this, down in distance, so you're watching tons of game film. Uh, Probably the coolest film i ever watched uh, and he's now in the hall of fame but uh, he was over at marshall was randy moss we watch game film on him and it's hey when when his inside leg is up or inside leg is back or whatever he's running a slant they're running the fade so it's constantly studying and observing film and breaking down those details so when you when you do get to play uh if you if you happen to be standing across from those types of guys You know what is going to happen before it happens, so being prepared. And that was, that's football and engineering in a nutshell. Notice I did not say, go chase girls, go drink and get drunk. I've never been drunk in my life. I've never tried drugs. I've never been drunk in my life. So the college experience, mine was wake up, work hard as hell by seven, be physically exhausted from the hardest workouts, powerlifting, sprints, stadium all that stuff and then go compete with a lot of kids that were international and the difference in engineering from other professions is a lot of the people aren't kids they're 20 something years old and they went to india institute of technology they went to uh, major universities but they're coming over to get the american degree so they already were had their little 18 year old moments when it was like oh i miss my mommy's cooking or oh, my little high school girlfriend, and they don't have that head trash. You are competing against older kids. So the misconception in the engineering world is that uh, the international students are smarter. Um, no, they're just adults. They already have a degree, and it'd be like if you went back to kindergarten and started over. So that's why it's so competitive as a, as a U.S. Uh, or, or an American Um so to be able to compete with the older kids there uh, was also you better have your stuff together because a weed out rate in engineering is probably three quarters before your second year and that's every school in the united states
1: and a lot that's not talked about look at the importance of science and mathematics and how they're forgetting about that so much in schools and seeing the importance because the bottom line is the more you're technical that's where we're going technology and then engineering and any type of engineering or anything that's a very difficult degree is going to be one or it's competitive or it's international competitive and people are coming in You're right in that manner So after you graduated from undergrad from Ohio U What made you want to go on for your master's degree? is it, what was your thought process of
0: that? Well, um What I did actually and this can go to career. I did not get my master's degree after um, I co at three different places and I thought I was going to have a job and kind of follow what my dad did. My dad worked for Norfolk Southern Railroad and he was in logistics and he always used to tell me everything has to move. My co-op that was the most uh, prestigious one was with Yellow Roadway who moves everything on the roads. So, you know, when you grow up everybody wants to be like their dad and he provided an unbelievable life for us uh, and my mom did too. But in transportation the markets up we did well markets down everything always had to move so when i i did get an offer from them and um we were uh i was one of the who's who at the university and we we're at an engineering conference and they sent the top a couple kids to go watch a yankees indians game so i was like i get to skip school go with the professors and watch a baseball game and get and not get in trouble sure And then I got to be in Cleveland, which is where my parents lived. So I get to go and have my mom's spaghetti and meatballs and you know, uh, see my little brothers and stuff. So I thought it was great. We're cutting through a lobby to go to the baseball game and there's a career fair. Now I'm dressed in a pair of flip flops. I got a five o'clock shadow, a Yankees hat on in Cleveland. My dad probably told me, shave your face. You're never gonna get a job in your life. What are you doing? My mom would say the same thing. What are you doing? You can't have this and that. And you know, you're feeling yourself. You're a little young. You got to do a little stuff, piss off your parents, not shave for a day or two. Uh, But we're cutting through the lobby, and there's a career fair. And time just stopped. It was Intel, it was number one at the peak of the tech rally. So this is in the 90s. Intel was the most profitable tech company on earth they were fortune number one they made the engine that made all of this stuff possible so my friends were giving me crap and they said there you go big shot go get the keychain and i remember somebody telling me that and what for the listeners the people that go get the keychain means we'll call you not the other way around so i got in line and they're like uh what are you doing you got on t-shirt cargo short baggy double xl cargo shorts flip-flops baseball yankees hat in cleveland they're like they're gonna kick you out of the career fair i wasn't even registered i didn't have a resume on me nothing we're walking physically walking to the game from the hotel and i got in line and it says phd and masters only and i got in line and you start to see after a little bit the line inches up it inches up some more and you had kids that were like yourself today Suited up, uh, what, whether it's Gucci or Armani, whatever whatever you're whatever you're wearing today, uh, Brioni, uh, you know they, they looked like you, um, not like what I was dressed like, and they were putting their best foot forward, and these are kids that had eight years of school, six years of school, uh, from India, from it's everywhere, and PhD and masters only, so I get up to the front, and the two people said, they ju- they were just smiling, they said you can you read and they were serious it was insulting to them can you read i said i absolutely can read and they said uh, phd and i said i don't have a phd And they said masters i said no no i don't have a master's and they said undergrad i said no i'm going to be a senior and but let me tell you about myself and what they liked about that is that in technology they care about your performance they care about how you think And later in life, the person told me, I was able to see convention, understand a path forward and say, I don't care what convention is. I'm going to put a result and get it done. And I have to see it before it's there. So they said that that's why the first interview happened. So it was, here's the rules. I don't care. Those are your rules, not the, the rules. In that industry, you have to think of things that nobody can imagine. And then, as Andy Grove said, you have to put the wings on the pig, not the lipstick on the pig. So Intel is making stuff that you can't even imagine four years before people can even conceive it. You have to make it and then it has to get out and I have to make a product with a team of people that's so good and so addicting that you have to wait outside and camp in the snow for an iPhone or an iPod at that time or a laptop. So they saw a behavior, a trait, a confidence and then you know i told them about myself and they said we have a room for two and uh, we're going to be doing real interviews go find your resume and come back and see us well i didn't even have a resume so i went back i interviewed with them Uh, they flew me out to an alfalfa field in phoenix and they said this is going to be where mobility begins and it turned into uh, fab 22 which now is fab 12 fab 22 fab 32 um i apologize that's my fault. uh what an idiot what an idiot i am i apologize um i'm so sorry so we're 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 out there and um they said this is going to be the future mobility and there's going to be this wireless stuff and there's going to be this bluetooth stuff and there's going to be system on it all this stuff it's going to be your your uh Music's gonna be and you know nobody believes it, but that's exactly what it was. So interviewed for two days. I fly back home. It was in the summer, uh, and then um, they extended an offer to me six months before I graduated college, or yeah, before I graduated college. So I'm in thermodynamics, fifty zillion. I'm in vector trajectory coordinates, which is rocket science. I'm in uh, you know the zillionth math. I'm wondering if I'm gonna pass my damn classes and I put a deposit on a house to get built to go live on the other side of the country, and I've never been out there, and uh, I did graduate. And uh, on Thanksgiving, uh, or day before Thanksgiving, I took my finals, I drove up, I ate turkey with my parents. The following morning, I went with my best friend, and uh, we drove out to Phoenix, and I started the following week at the Intel Corporation, and I was a microchip engineer. I was one of 12 industrial and uh, manufacturing systems engineers for them. And uh, we had to physically make a plant and made the chips that go in everything that you know of.
1: Wow. So to get land that job, if you wouldn't have gotten in line. So it's important to take the opportunity by the horns and go. Like if it, an opportunity happens, you shouldn't pass it up. That's what it sounds like, what you did.
0: Well... People have these handcuffs and it's all imaginary somebody says you can't do it that's their idea of what you can do it doesn't mean it can't be done right so the attitude that I've had since I've been little people always they don't take responsibility they go why me and yeah my attitude is why the bleep not me I've met so many people and I'm sure you have too, that you see are what society would deem successful and you go that guy's not that smart or that person's not that whatever. And it's because they didn't have those handcuffs of, I can't it's instead of, I can't because it's, I could if so it's how you can picture something, set a goal, set an end state and work backwards toward that goal. And that goes back to sports. That goes back to being in a yard and my dad knocking on a table saying, get tough, get tough, get tough. Um, it's it's hearing that that internal dialogue that you have is hey get stop watching the idiot box he used to call the television the idiot box he goes somebody outside's running right now somebody outside's doing push-ups right now somebody out there's dribbling with their left hand somebody's doing this and that's when you're a little kid um i didn't always like the delivery some times even to today i don't like the delivery but the message was was painfully correct
1: so important and we talked about again that opportunity when opportunity knocks let's talk kind of summarize intel working there at that time period you said and you moved up the ladder tremendously in that company from starting out just out of with your undergrad what kind of give me some career highlights because we could have an interview just on intel alone for sure and we have more stuff to go
0: um, what, what they focused on, so you had Andy Grove. Andy Grove uh, is probably the smartest person and most talented person I've ever met or done work with. And he was inspirational. Now you'll hear about jobs or you'll hear about somebody else, but if there was no engine, there, none of this exists. If you don't have a chip, you don't have the phone. If you don't have a chip, you don't have a laptop, you don't have the server, you got a car with no engine. That's the guy that made the chip. Now, he was a very humble guy. He would come sit on your desk and talk to you and tell you, you know, we put the lipstick or we put the wings on the pig, not the lipstick. We have to make the pig fly. And we have to do it before anybody else even knows, you know, anything possible. So I would say the theme of Intel, which people are still trying to copy today, is how to work as a team. So they have technical expertise and And uh, breadth and depth, and they're able to get diversity. And it's not black and white, male or female, um, old and young. It's diversity and perspective. So if I skip fast forward a little bit and I had some direct reports, they said, I don't want anybody on the team that played football. I don't want a Midwestern guy. I don't want a guy. And I don't want anybody that looks, acts, or talks like you. We already have one of you we want somebody else now we want the skill set to be at or above and the expectation when you're there is they say two and five your job as a manager is to do two and five everybody that you hire your goal and your job is to get them two promos in five years okay so that's like going out to usc if you were to talk to uh pat rule they don't leave the state of california unless they're going to be a number one draft pick it's the same idea
1: that's interesting because you're learning the corporate world and how you had to perform in the corporate world and that's a that's a challenge because again you're you're figuring it out for yourself you're figuring out what the expectations are would you feel it was a lot of pressure when you were in intel
0: well when you did college like that and had the expectations in a good way but the you know uh you're able to banter with uh, the, the, the world champion on a regular basis, it makes you head smart. So Intel was easy because there's nobody that can get in your head or play the mental gymnastics better than the preparation I had growing up. Uh, there's nobody that understood what it was like to be physically dead tired by seven and then go compete as an engineer. So when you get out and you have to wake up get a cup of coffee and go work with people and sit in the air condition, there's nothing. That's easy, it's fun. You're inventing, you're doing new stuff. Um, so it was a cake, it wasn't a cakewalk, it was a high degree of difficulty, but it was enjoyable. You're making stuff that has never ever been thought of and then manufacturing it and you know what's gonna happen three, two, three, four years before anybody else does. There were times that I would tell my younger brothers or even my mom. My mom, I could probably go rob a bank, and she'd say, "I, you did a great job robbing a bank, right?" <laughs> um, so that—that's my mom. Uh, I would told her, "Hey, you have a six disc changer in the basement, Pioneer six disc changer, and they have a five hundred disc changer." And I told her, "There's going to be a thing about the size of a deck of cards that has all of that," and she would say, "That's nice, Michael." Which The way that she said it was, "Mm, mm, okay, right? Um, So I would tell my dad, I'd tell my mom, I'd tell my friends, stuff that I was working on, no insider trading or anything, but hey, this is what's up next. And nobody even believes you. Right. But you have to go do it, and you're making it happen, and then you're scaling that, and then it's going to be out for Christmas for everybody. It's going to be in every household in the world. Yeah. So uh, a very interesting place and nobody is individually that strong that they can do it themselves. That's an international company that does the hardest stuff, maybe 85 to 100,000 employees, and the discipline, discipline, the structure, the rigidity, the teamwork, not a group of individuals, but a true team uh, is what they got right. It is not they let some people wear jeans and flip-flops to work in the nineties and that's cool. And that's what makes it happen. Uh, that's been bastardized to today. There's all this work, work home balance and work-life balance. That's not what they got. Right. They got right the process. So if you look at people that I admire, um, the Nick Saban's, they have a standard, they have a process. They put the right people on the bus, they get the wrong people to bleep off the bus, and then they put the right people in the right positions, the ones on the bus. That's what Intel does. That is why nobody has been ever able to beat them, duplicate them, and maybe at best kind of copy them. And um, you see a lot of the tech companies, they still don't have that type of process. Gordon Moore was one of the founders, Moore's Law, that it's going to double every so often, the, the power and the computing stuff. That stands true to today. These are people that made laws. These aren't just people that, uh, right? Hey, they're pretty smart, or uh, you know, so and so got a lot of money. These are people who this idea came out of those guys' heads. So when you're around them, they more or less did invent the wheel. So if that doesn't inspire you, I don't know what does.
1: So the master. Let's talk, about Let's talk about uh, when did you go for your master's degree when you were at Intel?
0: No, I didn't. Um, so. At Intel, uh, you had the option, you could go to Stanford or you can go to uh, ASU, which was the W.P. Carey School of Business. And I, uh, I was doing the nerd stuff. So I was doing manufacturing, making and breaking stuff and studying really complicated systems. And you know, to this day, it's prestigious to work and then go to a rank school and get an MBA. But I didn't feel that that was useful to me in that I was negotiating contracts and installing capital equipment and doing stuff that nobody did, I didn't think that it would be good for me. So I did wanna get a master's, but later in life, I wanted to get a master's in engineering and focus more on data analytics, uh, quantitative, actually quantitative analytics. I wanted to learn about neural networks and machine learning and business intelligence and artificial intelligence. And I wanted to know how to get demonstrated actuals in large data sets So looking at a population and understanding how and why they think the way they do and turning data into information. And with that information, you can go make a market. So instead of marketing, you could be a market maker. So when you launch a product, I know what your habits are because of statistically determinate math. I know that you like this color and I know that people in this area like that. So I know what you want and I can put out what you want. I know better what you want than you know. And you is a very large population. So if I'm selling something that costs this many dollars, I know that if I get the total addressable market and I put a dent in it um, and I'm solving a need, making something bigger, stronger, faster, through predictive analytics, I know what you're thinking better than you do. Uh, it's like when you get, on, uh, you get on your phone, it's gonna tell you what you want because it knows all the, the, the different things you do. So you can go make things before they even exist because you understand the, the math. That doesn't mean you're smart, that just means you get math. And people don't understand that. People think you have the engineers, they go make their little pretty sculpture in a lab and they never show it to the world. And then they go tell people, I need money. And then they tell people, well, this is gonna go everywhere. Right. Well, they don't have a market. Nobody likes being sold. That's true. Nobody does. And if you look at Intel or some of the companies that got it right, they have what they call internally super user groups. So an example of modern day right now is working with ProFence. ProFence makes an evolution of the minigun. A minigun is, um, if you've ever seen a helicopter that has something like in the movies, it goes 4,000 rounds a minute. So what they're able to do is instead of 4,000 rounds a minute, they know that if I just need to hit a target, I need not I just need Right. um, They said, we're gonna do variable speed motor. They knew that brushless, has less downtime and less changeable parts. They know that the old school feed ramp on a Dillon is a shape of an L and it clogs up or jams the feed. So when you have a belt going through and things jam, when a gun jams and you're returning fire, sending fire, returning fire, whatever it is, you're in a gun battle. I don't want to have something that's L shaped. I want something round because it's smoother and then enters the track better. So this stuff is universal. I am doing the same thing right now with, for example, AR-15s for that company, helping with the super user group on behalf of Mike Akabuchi who's the CEO, and Mark Spicer. Mark Spicer, um, you would know him as the yes. gentleman that solved the DC sniper. You would know him as the guy that wrote um, wrote a bunch of books on the top sniper manual. You may also know him as one half of Craft. So he was the top sniper on a planet with Chris Kyle. Americans would yes. have Chris Kyle from, um, you know, the American sniper. But within the movie, he says, oh, there's this British guy and you won't understand what the bleep he's saying. That was his little wink and nod over to arguably the most impressive sniper ever, uh, which is Mark Spicer, a real good friend of mine. He was 50-50 at craft, uh, which was the highest training, academy in the world and um, him and i do a lot of training on anti-terrorism counter surveillance and uh and counter-terrorism he beat hezbollah he uh, guarded the arab summit most recently the 22 most powerful people in the world over you know over in the arab summit Uh, they're sitting on gas and they sell it like it's water that's how rich they are so whenever they say bill gates or whatever is rich um, there's people over in the Arab nations that for a thousand years and a thousand years from now they're selling oil what we pay for water and it doesn't even matter that's what they're sitting on so you want to talk about wealth yeah maybe they don't have financials or stock statement he is over top of them and so he tasked me um, he's a tough cookie he demands the best he is the best and there's no room for error over there when you're, um, when you're in the military, especially in the special forces in the tactical sector. And Mark really challenges me to come up or work with him to do the best business processes, to make the best machining centers, to have the tightest tolerances, and to really put your ear as close to the customer as possible and make exactly what SEAL Team wants, exactly what Delta wants, exactly what uh, swat and those guys want and uh, a little thing that I learned at Intel and it's it's better when you're in person but I'll lecture sometimes and um, I didn't learn it Intel. I apologize I learned it from shingajitsu uh, so Japanese doing the lean stuff they say it starts and ends with the customer the customer says I want something and then you say go and it ends with the customer getting your product and you exchange money and so if i'm in a big lecture hall and i'm on the far right and i see somebody kind of engaged i'll say i'll point right at them and they'll do deer in the headlights and i said if you remember one thing and i put my palm up in the air and i say and I, I walk towards them as i'm saying this and i say the closer my mouth or my ear is to the customer's mouth the closer my hand is to their wallet yeah. so that is starting and ending the
1: customer and that's such an important thing so you're you, you went ahead and got your master's after that what would you say some of the career highlights because like I said we could talk for hours upon hours you talked about intel and how then your entrepreneur mindset came into play after leaving intel why did you decide to become an entrepreneur because you know you work for somebody else made a lot of good money you really kind of transformed intel in certain aspects and learned so much then you go on get your master's degree you work with other Projects different things. What made it say, okay, I'm gonna do it and become an entrepreneur
0: So this entrepreneur thing is a new buzzword and it's almost like there's glamour I've never said I'm an entrepreneur and I never told people I'm an entrepreneur and when I left Intel my mom was concerned and to this day if you found my dad he would say you're gonna ruin your life you're you got to work with the company and ah, but what happened was I was at Intel and I was doing lean and lean is uh, studying efficiency and I was doing it at the pretty much the New York Yankees of the, the entire corporate world. So I had people that knew we were launching hard products really quickly and they wanted me. They didn't want a person, they wanted me. So Honda asked me to do some work with them and I did a good job and I did more. Procter and Gamble uh, asked me to do the same thing, and I did more. Uh, Boeing, Airbus, uh, Harley-Davidson, American Express, and eventually, it's 10 years later, I've worked with 40 of the Fortune 100, and it's the same thing. It's people and process. It doesn't really matter what you do. So going in and having a standard like a Nick Saban and knowing, again, who, who, uh, fits in your offense. Who fits in your defense? And getting people to be a team versus a group of individuals, while working on the process, not in the process. Most managers are at work, and they're just in in their daily work. That's all they're doing. Their work. They got these big hour, you know, however many hour days, and they have really challenging things. But when you're a manager uh, versus a leader, a managers is just managing people a leader is able to spend time on the people on the people's systems the interconnections of flows of data um and what triggers what the feed me i'm hungry and when you have tech now it's even more complicated so you really have to be um an impresario you have to be the person that puts on the show you have to be the person that writes the sheet music you yes. have to hire the stuff you have to conduct the orchestra you have to be the advertiser and um, I've never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I just tell people I'm a nerd. I like to make and break things. And uh, the refined thing is I like to help people compete at game speed, win, and have fun. And I've eaten just as much crap as anybody else. I've had years where you wouldn't believe a number. And I've had years where you would be like, what the, you know, game over. Uh, you need to go get a job. So I've eaten. As, just as much crap as anybody else i'm not a superstar uh i by no means have yachts i by no means have ferraris i by no means uh but i don't look at my light bill either i work with who i want and i do what i want the way i want and uh, that's where i am in life and i earned it i worked real real hard to do that but what i'm most proud of is And again, you can check this on LinkedIn. You can see anything. Everybody that's worked with me has had a similar experience. And that's I've made the people around me better. It's not I made people rich. It's the people around me got better. And that's what I'm most proud of. The students that I teach have great jobs. The people that I'm managed are leaders of other companies. Uh, If I started a company, the people are more gainfully employed. And some people uh, in some of these tough times like 08 or most recently, these people are not sleeping in a car. They're able to get a house. So it's not really at any point in time about you. It's you measure your success on what you do for others and how you elevate others because they'll tell the story about how great you are. You talking about how great you are sitting on a Rolls Royce Phantom in front of a yacht is, the, is, is a joke. Um, most people that, that got it, they don't need to show it to you. A great white shark is right next to you, and anytime he wants to, he could bite your leg and tear you in half, but when you look down, he blends in. If you're looking up, he has a white belly, looks like the sky. A lion, a lion doesn't go in the jungle and go, I'm a lion, I can eat you, just sits there in the grass, and when he, when they want you to know that they're there, they can reach out and bite you at any time. So. The, if you look at any of the apex predators or any of that, they're not sitting there, look at me, look right. at me, look at right. me. They don't need to. Now they don't know exactly who they are, where they are. Exactly. And they know that uh, not a good idea to piss them off.
1: So, would you call yourself a management consultant at first of when you're not management, like consulting companies in certain aspects, and then moving into now the latest ventures where you're kind of more looking at? companies branding social media you've kind of evolved in ways from intel that's where i kind of want to describe because you read linkedin you you understand michael but you go everywhere else this is again michael that's what you have to check out is that you systematically think about strategies and where you're moving forward next so at first you were working with different projects different things and being involved
0: manufacturers
1: manufacturers yes where you're looking at how you can start and scale and help them grow, yeah. where you were doing a talk, where you are doing talks with people like Gary Vee, being on stages like that, things like that. The then biggest. To like, the, the biggest. biggest. To, yeah. Then to looking at LinkedIn, things like this. But where is Michael now? Because you could read all that on LinkedIn. You talked about one of the projects you were talking about with Mark Spicer. Tell us some other stuff that's going on for you right now that you want to talk about.
0: Um, one of the things that's clubhouse relevant, and I'm actually very proud of it. It's very recent. Um, there is a uh, young lady, Gabrielle DeSantis, and she's from Southern California, and she's the namesake of Gigi Hill. Um, she talked with me, and this was only a few weeks ago, less than a little bit more than a month ago, and she said, "My goal is to have a U.S. made, cut and sew uh, bag line." Uh, women's apparel, uh, and do this whole thing, and she said, will you talk with me. I know you do manufacturing." And I said, "Yeah, you know what? My parents, my initials are MFG, so I was kind of born for it." And she laughed. Um, she, uh, very beautiful woman. I uh, I tell her she looks like Heather Locklear. Um, she's uh, Coronado, uh, California, so she's like the cool, cool stuff. And she sells millions of dollars for many years on her Gigi Hill line and some of her other brands. Well, she wants to kind of pull those silhouettes and pull that stuff into the future with the newer, better materials. Same silhouettes, but a little modern flair. And she wants it made here. And so she said she heard no everywhere. And I said, well, you have to look at it instead of we, we can't because and turn that into we could if. And so one of my closest friends is Bob Hinty. Uh, He's one of the last of the Mohicans uh, in in terms of cut and sew at scale in the United States. And I said, let's go meet up. You're going to have your patterns and we're going to go figure out this really big story problem. We're going to figure out how to get what you have at the price point you want and potentially launch a fall or winter collection and i believe that when she has that capacity capacity is strategy that's also from andy grove if i can make unlimited amounts i can now be very strategic i don't have to store inventory i can stop on a dime i can respond to change so two weeks after i talked to her we were physically in a factory in fort wayne i live in ohio She lives in Southern Cal. I don't know why the hell she'd leave there to come to Indiana, but that's where, that's where the Willy Wonka factory is. We went there. We nerded out for eight hours and where we're at right now, present day, four weeks and a couple days later is there's a very strong possibility that you will have two people that met on Clubhouse that never knew each other are a couple years apart. I definitely am not in fashion, as you can see, and I'm definitely not in women's wear, as you can yes. see. Uh, I look like the south end of a northbound jackass, so uh, I belong behind the camera, not in front of the camera. But Gabrielle is going to go and do Gigi Hill. The deal that I made with her is my mom is Grandma Giuliano, so she's Gigi. Gigi and Gigi is in the name, and my daughter is Anna Capri. So I said, what about Gigi Capri? And she said, I like that. So we agreed upon Gigi Capri, and now um, we need to make the market. She has salespeople all over the world, and she's been very good. But what she said that she wanted to have is, hey, when I started out, I was a working mom, and I'm no longer a working mom. My kids are grown up. I need that next big thing and so uh we have somebody that's my business partner here where we're at which um you know i hope you i hope you can meet with her someday uh nicole demarco she has been in front of major campaigns and she knows how to get the social media and they give the companies the biggest brands and the most trusted brands give her the keys to the car what's neat about her or unique is she's also in front of the camera So they don't hire models. She gets the whole bag. She gets the social, the Instagram, the Facebook, the salespeople, the technical marketing message. And she is incandescently bright. She, um, she does that. And then guess what? The picture that you see with the products on, she happens to do that too. And I don't know anybody that does that today. Uh, So happy to be working with her. And ideally, it's a very tough, uh, very heavy lift. It's a very, 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 very odds are against you. We're still in COVID. So to say you met somebody in California, can even get a product made in the U.S. right now, is a big accomplishment. But for that to eventually scale and be potentially, it's not done yet. So I'm not going to say we've arrived. It's a lot of hard work. Uh, but uh, if that comes out, uh, I'm going to think that's something special. I'm going to be very proud of that. And I would be even more proud to stick my mother and daughter's name on her brand and face the same direction and work with her and work with Nicole and work with some of these other people. So uh, that's something I'm working on right now. And it may never come to fruition, but we're giving it a hell of a try.
1: All right. So that's very interesting the story of Clubhouse and how if you go in with the right intention. You go in wanting to make connections, wanting to meet people, wanting to help people. That's the best way, not have other thoughts of why you're on Clubhouse, or you're using it as becoming an influencer. Clubhouse is could be, if LinkedIn would buy it, it could be, uh, be the greatest thing, thing in the north. exactly. Yeah. Because it's just absolutely, that's what it needs to be. Connections, networking, and then taking it offline, having these conversations like you coming into my studio today.
0: Yeah, what do we do? I mean, this is this is timeless. These silly devices didn't exist even when I got out of school. So, I mean, uh, real talk, we talked last night and you said, hey, let's, you know, I'd like to do something. I said, I only lock eyes. I'm, I'm a businessman. Um, I lock eyes. Nothing ever happens over a phone text. That's all BS. And you said, hey, I got a slot today. Let's link up. I drove my happy ass over here, uh, two and a half hours, and I've had a great day with you. And uh, it's a real honor. I'm. I. This happens to be you interviewing me, but I know you're across 150, 180 comp or countries. I know that you're ranked above Shaq as the top. Uh, Your what? What is it? celebrity is it,
1: podcast? Celebrity top, podcast. Top, yeah. So this is my honor. I'm exactly. Just a, no. I'm just a silly <laughs> no. kid
0: that. Uh, you know, silly kid that uh, um, likes to have fun and make and break stuff. And here I am with you. So I'm aware of where I'm at. I'm aware of what you're doing for me. And uh, I thank you so much because this is something uh, that, you know, people want to capture uh, the essence of me. Um, I think as a facilitator and interview viewer, I follow you with great pride. I know that, that you have a reach. A global reach 180 co- uh, countries Country, yeah. I don't think I can name 18 countries. So, <laughs> you know I, I, I very much thank you and this is really my honor and this is a giant gift that you've given me so I, I thank you very much for that
1: you're welcome so the best place connects LinkedIn for you guys for that's the guy. only
0: place and uh, that's the only place find me on LinkedIn uh, yeah that's it and
1: then the company's name or do you have just multiple business? Just things. find me and we'll, we'll figure
0: You'll out. You'll make that the
1: connection. Yeah. You, you have to connect on LinkedIn. Yeah. Don't you go on Clubhouse? If you do see you on Clubhouse, then just connect on LinkedIn. That's the best thing. That's
0: the only way to get
1: there. All right. Well, we appreciate it, Michael. And I'm going to okay. shake your hand. This is because this is my first in-person interview before since covid so isn't that funny i used to have all these different ones people have won america's got talent uh he went out there and uh, again bill medley uh, from the righteous brothers to just you just wouldn't you never know so we appreciate it and again this was a special interview in my new studio here in cranberry township in pittsburgh pennsylvania and this was the neil haley show take care guys
2: I love you. I love
1: you.
0: celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Andrew Shackkin Show, the show where the rubber hits the road. We do not compromise on our views. We hit We. I Try as a host as Neil does to hit the truth as far as I can critically think and understand it. I wanna talk about a topic tonight called forgiveness. It's a chapter in my book, Essays of the Christian Worldview. And uh, the uh, what I say here, first of all, Jesus commands people to forgive as God forgives us. And this is a very difficult, this is a very difficult commandment because he is saying that we should forgive people that hurt us and damage us. And what's a natural reaction, Neil, to when someone hurts and damages, we get back at them. Yes. We want to take revenge. We want to hurt them back. But God says he forgives us. Let's understand that uh, he is telling us about his nature, that he will forgive us entirely as human beings for our failings. And he tells us to do the same. The question is why he tells us to do the same. Is forgiving forgetting? Is it excusing? No, it's an internal act where we come to terms with with a slight or attack on us and deal with it successfully. God wants a world of forgiveness, namely Neil, he wants a world in which, which human beings have positive relationships. He wants no hostility. He doesn't want us to treasure slights and hurts. If we if we live in a world like that, Neil, it would be impossible for all of us. Correct?
1: Yeah, no doubt it'd be possible. I mean, just to be a tough world for sure.
2: It would be. A, it's a tough enough world. So if you're going to treasure every little slight and every little thing that happens to you, first of all, the result will be total chaos. Nobody will be able to get anything done. Uh, forgiveness is. It is a difficult request uh, because we are inclined not to forgive. But also, let me say this. I don't think God is saying that in forgiving us and are not forgiving our neighbor, he is condemning us. No, but he is saying he wants a world of, of, of positive relationships without enmity, without holding and treasuring hurts. That's the world that God wants for people. That's why he says, to forgive one another, as he forgives us, he's telling us that if you want to enter into the, uh, the Christian, the church, if you want to do that, you've got to put aside these feelings. Oh, uh, another thing: forgive, not forgiving and get, and damaging other is feelings, and I and it is not right. It is not a good idea to be motivated by feelings. Let me say a word about this. Uh, Um, God, the the practical reason about forgiving us, unless we give up our, our feelings in this respect, our life will be impossible. If you want to take offense at what every other person does to you or you think has been done to you, your life and that person's life and all human lives will be impossible. That's why God says forgive, Because he forgives, number one, that's his nature, number one. Number two, there is no alternative. Essentially, that's my opinion. Without forgiveness, without a world in which we do not treasure our slights, our hurts, our offenses, in that that world where that happens, people cannot coexist successfully. God wants forgiving because he wants a world that operates successfully.
1: And that's so true, Andrew. Because it's a the fact is that um, that we uh, need to look at these things and not get upset about the little things that happen each day. That's right.
2: We can't, or even it's, the big things. He's yeah. saying that he God is informing us that that is His nature, and we should try, try at least attempt to move in that direction in our lives.
1: Look you have some books you- coming out, right, Andrew? some what? books coming out, you yeah, have some books, books coming
2: out. out. Yes, the book on the Psalms has just come out, 290 page book. I'm writing two books of my blogs, literary, theological, and um, literary, theological, and political, current events blogs, two books. I'm also preparing a book on the biblical miracles and on the book of Job uh, at some point in the future. All oh, these books, let me say something, Neil. Uh, I, ha- I want to get your honest opinion. Uh, how much do people actually read books?
1: They do. A lot of people read books. You just have to find the right people. That's for what? sure. you have really? to find the right people. People read books, find the, your audience, find your people, and that's it. So awesome. Well, people will check it out by going to shackandshow.com. Appreciate it, Andrew. Okay, and again, no a great YouTube. But do, you,
2: do you believe people still want to be yes. informed and gain knowledge? Yes, they do. Okay. All right, show.com. Take it. All right, I'm glad you talked.
1: Please listen to the Forletta podcast. Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time, to name a few. Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman, aka El Chapo, and other related real life crime stories such as Waco. For more information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com.